from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, a land-grant, space-grant, R1 research institution. Learn more at wvu.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. On the legislature today, we'll discuss both parties' bills aimed at protecting health insurance coverage for pre-existing conditions. But first, reporters Emily Allen and Dave Mistich join me for quick updates. Thank you both for being here. Emily, let's start with you in the House. The Critical Infrastructure Protection Act, House Bill 4615, we've been following this all week. Um, since the, the public hearing on this bill on Monday, it, um, <clears throat> the opponents say it, it, it infringes on First Amendment rights, and of course supporters disagree with that. What happened today? Yeah, well, um, in short, Sue Long didn't read it passed the House. So it is going to be moving on to the Senate for consideration and, you know, whatever committee awaits this bill there. Um, you kind of summed up the arguments from the opponents, largely Democrats, to the bill. Um, you know, it infringes upon uh, First Amendment rights. There are a lot of people we know of in our state and other states like North Dakota that uh, protest pipelines by being there. And, you know, there have been people that chain themselves to the actual pipelines or they just stay there and pick it. Um, so this bill would um, kind of increase the, the penalties, make a criminal offense out of trespassing onto property or conspiring to. There are some provisions, as, um, you, you know, the bill's proponents pointed out today, that would protect, like, um, you know, reasonable kind of labor strikes because there are some places you know offering critical infrastructure deemed in this that you know might involve like the health care or something so if those people are um, protesting you know labor efforts there then that's fine um, and that's something that I guess both sides of this argument is going to come up in the clips that we're about to play from delegates uh, Mike Pushkin a Democrat from Kanawha County and I believe we're also going to be hearing from a Republican delegate Tom Bibby a Republican from Berkeley unfortunately some folks feel the need to engage in acts of civil disobedience where they know uh, they're going to be arrested, but they make a decision to do something to break a law and to get arrested because it's something that they truly believe in. Um, you know, whether it's uh, a pipeline that's going through their land or close to their land or uh, through the state that they love, or whether it's rising up against unfair taxation. Um, and sometimes uh, these folks feel that they're underrepresented up here and they feel helpless and hopeless and powerless because uh, some of their elected representatives listen more to the loud voices of the paid industry lobbyists than they do to the people who might be living on the land that this pipeline's going through. This is significant, ladies and gentlemen. We have we have groups out there that would just love to bring down the electric grid in this country, or even, let's just take the Northeast. How would you feel if we allow a group knowingly or conspire to do such a thing, to bring down our, our electric grid? We've got nursing homes, people on life support systems, 
Yeah, we may have backup systems. But tell that to the people in Katrina. Those backup systems only last so long. People could die if some of these critical infrastructure uh, assets were destroyed. Okay. So, so that what happened? That bill okay. passed out of the House of Delegates today, uh, 60 to 35. So, okay. and it moves on to the Senate. Okay, great. Thanks, Emily. Uh, Dave, there's an update regarding the, the first bill that passed both houses uh, this session. It's already been signed by the governor. This would allow the Secretary of State to implement an app to assist uh, disabled West Virginians vote. Tell us the update. Well, so the, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, a very prestigious uh, university, um, <clears throat> they, uh, they published a study that came out today that basically found all these these various problems with an app called Votes. And if everybody remembers back to 2018, the Secretary of State uh, used a, a pilot program for military absentee voters that were overseas. So basically the, the MIT researchers found that, um, that the hackers could change how a person voted. Um, they also found that the application's use of a third party for voter identification uh, poses some uh, potential privacy issues. Um, of course, the company that, that built this app said that, that the researchers were acting in bad faith. They said that they were, they were the, the research that they did was based on old versions of the application that were not run in actual elections. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, there's this debate uh, still at this point whether or not, um, you know, do we, do, we, do we focus on voter turnout, uh, increasing accessibility to elections for some of these vulnerable populations or, or marginalized populations? Or do we um, do we do we are we concerned with the the security of the vote? So this conversation continues, and we should point out that as Emily reported earlier this session, uh, that Senate Bill 94 doesn't specify exactly what kind of electronic voting methods that uh, these people with disabilities would be have access to. But you know, votes has been a part of the conversation with electronic voting, with absentee voting, um, and and certainly for a population like that, it would be considered. Uh, one last detail I want to point out is that the Secretary of State's office has not yet decided whether or not that will be in there, uh, and they will make a decision by March 1st for the May 2020 primary election. So. Okay, great. Um, Emily, one of the three large, the last of the three large uh, foster care bills got out of its final committee last night in the House. Yeah, it was a relatively brief meeting. Uh, we filmed kind of yesterday around the same time that it was happening, so I tried to rush over there, and it really just happened so fast. It was in the House Finance Committee. Um, I don't know if you recall, but the past few times that we've talked about this bill, um, it, it's come out that the bill designates a certain kind of amount of stipend and increase for um, kinship caregivers as well as foster parent caregivers. So uh, there was kind of a concern that in the House Finan Finance Committee, it, it would, um, I, I guess, kind of, get trapped there because of this, but it passed relatively well um, from what we hear and read. It, it was pretty um, unanimous, so that does move on to the House now for um, final consideration before it moves to the Senate. All right, and, and finally in the House today, Emily, there were attempts um, to discharge a, one of several bills that seeks to include language and state code that would protect members of uh, the LBGTQ community from housing and employment discrimination. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we've heard about this a bit. In particular, I think we hear more about a bill in the Senate, um, but today, uh, Delegate Sean Fluharty, a Democrat from Ohio County, um, asked that the um, full house agree to discharge or move, um, I can't remember the exact number of the bill because there are several, but this bill that you described from um, the Industry and Labor Committee 
to um, its next committee reference or the House or wherever it's supposed to go next. And he said that he was doing this because actually the industry uh, and labor committee in the House um, is about to stop meeting. So that is a bill, and it, it's one of several, but it would um, die without it would die in committee. being considered. So um, that motion failed. Uh, they tabled it. And then when he requested that the full House untable it or remove it from the table, after session, um, that vote also failed. So it's okay. So done two away. attempts to get it out to the floor. Basically, yeah. All righty, uh, Dave Mistich, Emily Allen. Thank you both for being here this thank evening. You. Pediatric physicians were honored today at the legislature in what was called Tiny Hearts Day. A large group took the opportunity to meet with lawmakers about several health care issues. Randy Yowie reports. Doctors and medical students with the West Virginia chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics went one-on-one -on -one with senators and delegates today. Their mission? To turn their compassionate concerns into legislative priorities. They don't have a vote, and so they many times don't have a voice, so we want to be their voice for them and advocate for public health policies. The group's 2020 advocacy priorities highlight access to affordable health care, firearm injury prevention, obesity prevention and treatment, opioid epidemic and the impact on children, promoting tobacco cessation, and two big pushes. One, on maintaining West Virginia's national lead in strong child immunization laws. Every year there's efforts to try to weaken those policies and we as pediatricians know that prevention is key and we want to make sure that we keep the policy that's recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And a top priority addressing a growing concern over ACEs, ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and toxic stress. This can be uh, divorce, incarceration of a parent, uh, opioids or drug addiction in the home, um, really things that prevent children from going to school and being able to focus well, focus on their stress, staying healthy on a daily basis. The House of Delegates Health Committee is currently looking at House Bill 4775, to directly address reducing and removing ACEs and toxic child stress. That will allow us to create a committee to look at how these problems really affect children on a daily basis, how we can research um, what are the problems going on for our children and how we can best address them, what we can do to implement change and really impact their health growing up. Some of West Virginia's most passionate pediatric people fighting to keep tiny hearts beating strong. I'm Randy Yowie for the Legislature Today. I'm Emily Allen. Two bills have been introduced this session aimed at protecting health insurance coverage for pre-existing conditions should the Affordable Care Act be struck down. Joining me to discuss their party's respective bills are Senator Michael Azinger from Wood County and Senator Richard Lindsay, a Democrat from Kanawha County. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and especially during this busy time in the session. Now, um, we are here, as I kind of mentioned, to discuss Senate bills uh, 284 mm -hmm. and 561. Um, both kind of belonging to each sort of respective party in terms of how they came up. Um, we did talk a little bit to the attorney general who has backed the Republican uh, kind of led bill dealing with this subject. Uh, let's play a clip from him now about um, kind of the bipartisan support he hopes the bill has. It was uh, bipartisan in Louisiana. We've made some changes to tailor it to West Virginia, but this should be bipartisan, bicameral. There really shouldn't be opposition to this. If there is, it's because they want to play politics instead of helping 
protect West Virginians. Sure. Now, speaking of bipartisan support, and this was the situation in Louisiana as well, right now there is a Democrat-backed bill um, trying to accomplish the same thing. Are you familiar with that legislation? And in your own words, what is the key difference between those two bills? Well, I think the most important thing is that our legislation, I think, is a little bit more thoughtful in terms of when it would take in take effect because we want to be sensitive. We don't know yet what's going to happen in the court system. When you say when it will, both bills provide that it will take effect no, if the Affordable Care Act is repealed. But I think that the Democrat bill does not actually lay that out with much specificity and in terms of who makes that decision. I think there's a lot of deep uncertainty. And just briefly before we launch into kind of a response to that, uh, he was referring at the beginning to a bill in Louisiana that passed mm -hmm. during the last session. Um, there was a Democrat-backed bill, a Republican one, and in the end, uh, the Democratic governor of Louisiana signed uh, the Republican-backed one into law. Now, I want to start with you, Senator Lindsey. Can you, um, he, he kind of says some things about your bill toward the end of that, or the Democratic-led bill. Um, what are some of the key differences in your own words between the legislations and was what the Attorney General said? Kind well, of an accurate summary. I guess the, the, the two biggest differences is in, in our in, in the Democrat bill, we don't throw everyone with a pre-existing condition in, into a pool, okay? Pre-existing conditions are folks that are pregnant, COPD, diabetes, congestive heart failure. A lot of West Virginians, about 700,000 700, West Virginians have pre-existing conditions, according to a study from WVU. So we're talking about 40% of our state population. What the Republican bill seeks to do is to put all those individuals into a risk pool. Now, the com sub that came out of banking insurance relabels that risk pool. I think it's called now a reinsurance program, but it's still the same pool. And what that does is if you have a pool of unhealthy people relatively, that'll increase insurance costs because then you can't distribute those, those costs or premiums uh, across a pool that includes healthy individuals. So that's, that's the first biggest difference. The second biggest difference is Originally, the, the Attorney General's bill s talked about or addressed the fact that premiums could not be raised more than five to one. The, the ComSub takes that all, out altogether, and so there is no five to one, three to one like the Democrat. It could be as much as six or seven to one. It just doesn't address that particular issue. So that gives insurance companies who are providing insurance to folks with pre-existing conditions the ability to, to raise premiums from five to one to six to one to seven to one because the com sub, the attorney general's bill, doesn't address that particular issue. Um, and then finally, just to, since we're, we're playing off of, of what the attorney general said just a few moments ago about playing politics, let's remember who's truly playing politics. Attorney General Morrissey joined a lawsuit that would allow insurance companies to deny insurance co coverage to pre-existing conditions. This bill that he's gotten the, the Republicans introduced in the, in the Senate was introduced to kind of protect himself from that accusation because he just lost his last election because of it. And then second, neither the Democrat bill nor the Republican bill isn't specific as to where this money comes from. So the, the idea that the Democrat bill isn't specific, the same charge can be made to the Republican bill because the, the dirty secret is this money doesn't come from the state in order to protect all pre-existing conditions. And that's the big problem that both the Republican and Democrat bill have. The only difference is it's the Republican or the Attorney General that has made it a career to deny coverage to folks with pre-existing conditions. Sure, loaded response. And we will address the Affordable Care Thank Act you. lawsuit and the funding um, later on. But I do, can you describe a little bit about what this other bill does? And um, if you would like to address the other comments about no, the bill sure. well, I think that what the, 
Attorney General is doing with, with this is, is look, we're, we're looking at the Affordable Care Act uh, uh, potentially being, being taken out, and he wants to see to it that there's a framework set in place so that pre-existing conditions can be preserved in the state of West Virginia. In terms of uh, the, the funding of it, the, our bill, the, uh, the Attorney General's bill, has reinsurance that uh, doesn't have a, a funding source yet, but, uh, but will, will set up, be set up by the OIC. And uh, uh, this is a bill that, uh, that- And when you say OIC, you mean the officer of the, the, officer the, the insurance, insurance commissioner. Commissioner, correct. And uh, uh, this bill will, will say, look, if, if, uh, if you want, if you need insurance, we won't reject you. Every, everybody's, everybody's accepted. Uh, there are, uh, there's no uh, pre-existing pre conditions, and there, there's no caps on, on the benefits that we'll, we'll give you. And the premium caps that, that we have set in place, as I understand the bill, is set by, uh, according to the IRS, at $16,000 uh, per family and $8,000 per individual. And then after that, it's set uh, according to the uh, inflation rate within healthcare costs. Sure. And we will delve into some of the things you talked there too. I especially want to talk about funding, but um, really quick, let's take a step back and talk a little bit about how the history of how this bill came about. The Affordable Care Act um, kind of provided that insurance companies cannot uh, discriminate against you if you have pre-existing conditions. Mm -hmm. That's why we have this. Um, so as we have mentioned, our attorney general is in a lawsuit to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Um, let's talk a little bit. Uh, we have a clip from the attorney general earlier today talking about um, pre-existing conditions in that suit. You don't need to have Obamacare in order to protect people with pre-existing conditions. In fact, most people were protected from pre-existing condition issues prior to Obamacare. What we want to do is say, look, you can actually fix the problems with the marketplace. You can lower the premiums. You can do so without all the bad parts of Obamacare. So it's, West Virginia is not the only state, as we've discussed, to have a bill like this come up um, in the event that the Affordable Care Act is repealed. I guess we started with you last time, so let's start with you today, or now Senator Azinger. Why do you think, um, because you know we've talked to experts in the healthcare industry that said the Affordable Care Act was actually kind of a turning point for paying attention to pre-existing condition discrimination. Um, do you agree kind of what, with what the Attorney General is saying there, or has pre-existing conditions already mattered? Um, well, I. I think that, uh, first of all, what, what the Attorney General and others are doing in terms of getting rid of the Affordable Health Care, uh, Affordable Care Act is, is very important to do. Uh, the, uh, as I understand it, the, uh, the Firth, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals got eliminated the individual mandate, and uh, so the Affordable Care Act is, is uh, on schedule for a couple years down the road and it could be taking out most, some, or all of it. And that's what this bill does of the Attorney General's. It sets up uh, in case that is taken out for, uh, for uh, folks that, that don't have coverage. Uh, I think that and hope that, as, as, as our president, President Trump, has said, that we, we need to bring in some free market, and I believe the Attorney General alluded to that, we need to bring in some free market solutions to it, like health savings account, accounts that, uh, for example, the state of Indiana is doing, where uh, they offer their folks uh, that, that uh, have a PEIA type of 
insurance. They offer their, their folks an insurance coverage, and then they give them money to cover their uh, deductible. So say they have a $2,800 deductible, they pay out-of-pocket expenses for whatever it is they need to do, if they need to go to quick care or whatever. And then at the end of the year, they pocket whatever's left in, uh, in the health savings account. So they're gonna be using that money as, as wisely as they can and, and uh, as miserly as they can because they get to keep the money. This is the type of thing we need to do with healthcare is bring the free market solutions into it, bring prices down and to bring, uh, uh, to bring the quality up. So the, 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 you're talking a little bit about kind of this is a, a whole turning point, but just, you know, to briefly address what he had said, um, do you think that there was a lot of attention paid to pre-existing conditions before the Affordable Care Act, or do you think that's, um, you, you know, we're well, losing think, attention you know, with that being revealed? The impression I get just from observing is that uh, it certainly came out a lot more after the, the ACA, and I think that, uh, I think President Trump has been talking about a lot lately uh, lately also but uh, there's no doubt about it what the attorney general is doing with this bill is he's saying look we're providing a framework setting up a framework to uh, to address the the uh, pre-existing conditions to make sure that the state of West Virginia still offers pre-existing conditions which we do right now you know if you go to another provider as long as you had insurance I think for several months you qualify for uh, for insurance Sure. And uh, so this will preserve that. This bill will preserve that. Now, Senator Lindsay, I obviously want to address you. Do you think pre-existing conditions were kind of uh, paid more attention to after the Affordable Care Act? Do you think, um, I, I guess, how do you respond to this as a turning point in that? Yeah, I, I don't know where the Attorney General, and I'd like, to understand, I'd like to know what information he bases his opinion on that folks with pre-existing conditions were taken care of before the Affordable Care Act. The fact of the matter is you would have families that would go into bankruptcy because of their pre-existing condition, because there was no cap on those insurance premiums, uh, because of those conditions that they had. So the ACA put a focus on pre-existing folks with pre-existing conditions to make sure that they could afford their insurance. Now, when we talk about free market, let's not forget that the genesis of the ACA was actually a Republican idea that, that, would, that was a free market or marketplace health exchange or health insurance, not a state run, not a government run. And so it's interesting that the Attorney General, for example, talks about free markets. Well, we already have a free market in place. As far as a question with the premiums, and I think my good friend, would, conservative friend, would agree with me on this, if, if there are increases in premiums, even under the ACA in West Virginia, it's a consequence of uncertainty in the market because ever since the ACA took place or took hold, was introduced, became law, folks like our Attorney General have made it a career to attack the ACA and take those privileges and rights away from folks with pre-existing conditions or all just about all folks when it comes to health insurance and premiums. Sure, now I want to address something that I, I believe both of your bills have in common. Um, we have a lot of bills in the, the session uh, this time around that deal with health care and it's come up that you know the state can only do so much when the federal government has you know control over certain um, people that get insurance through like Medicare or um, certain employers. How do you address that if both of your bills are really only going to apply to a portion of West Virginia's insured population? Do you want to start? 
Well, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I'll start to the extent that I believe the reason why both of our, our bills focus on folks with pre-existing conditions is those are the individuals that will suffer the most should the ACA be repealed or should the Fifth Circuit decide in the Attorney General's favor. Um, let me just... Go ahead. No, you go Sorry, ahead. Senator, go ahead. Right. Um, me, uh, the ACA was passed essentially in the middle of the night on a weekend. And uh, as I, I believe it was a, a party line vote. And you have something that you have this monster that without the individual mandate, which is uh, basically going to be gone without the individual mandate, it's never going to work. And some, most or all of it is going to be knocked out by the court and you're going to have to have something in place. I think down the road, as I said, we need to bring free market solutions like competition across state lines, health savings account, and the idea I just mentioned about uh, uh, the state of Indiana and Singapore is doing it also with, uh, with savings of like 70% off their insurance. If you get LASIK eye surgery, in 1990s, this, and it's not covered insurance, if you got LASIK eye surgery, you would pay about 8,000 bucks a night. Now it's, it's about half that, 4,000 bucks a night, or it might be 4,000, 2,000. Nonetheless, point being, after these, all these years, LASIK eye surgery within the marketplace, where people have a choice, pay it out of their own pocket, they determine the quality of it, then what, what always happens in the marketplace will happen. Prices will go down and quality goes up. That's what we need to do with, uh, with uh, health insurance. The, the, the other thing I want to address real quick. and, and We this, have half a minute, I, but it's half yours. A minute, <laughs> half a minute. The problem with the Attorney General's fight against the ACA and stripping away these protections for, for folks with pre-existing conditions is it already saddles and burdens our hospitals that are barely getting by on reimbursement rates, meaning that folks who don't have those protections that the ACA, ACA affords with pre-existing conditions will likely drop out of the marketplace and our hospitals will have to pick it up and they're struggling at the moment. So I just want to make sure that that point gets Sure, started. and that is all we have time for, thank unfortunately. You. But thank you so much for being here, Senator. Thank you, Emily. Tomorrow on the legislature today, we'll have our Friday look back at some of the major stories of the week here at the Capitol. I'm Emily Allen. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us and have a good evening.